0: Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, featured columnist at CLNS Radio, familiar voice here on Celtics Beat, and of course, author of the now critically acclaimed Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you to all those who have downloaded the book. Your appreciation only serves as a validation. And to those still interested in claiming your free copy that you are obligated to as a Celtics or an NBA fan, go to www.clnsradio.com lhrbook LHR book. That's clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. But for now, we know why you're here. To listen to the number one Boston Celtics podcast on the web, Celtics Beat. Brought to you by lynda.com. Now, on with the show. Wow. (laughs) What a busy week for the Boston Celtics, huh? Mentioned on last week's show how busy the month of March will be for them. They've got a lot of games. A lot of games against good teams. One of them, as you know, against the Memphis Grizzlies this Wednesday, March 11th. Tomorrow, we will announce the winner of the contest on our Twitter account, at Celtics underscore beat. That's at Celtics underscore beat on Twitter. So you may want to give that a follow. Still time to enter, guys. How do you do it? Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Celtics beat. That's facebook.com slash Celtics beat. Or add us to your circles on Google Plus, Celtics beat on CLNS. And leave us a spiffy comment. You'll be entered to win the drawing which will be announced on the Twitter feed tomorrow. Again, AskSelix underscore beat. So leave us a comment on all the water cool talk. Leave us a comment on all the, on the games, whatever you want. We got one tonight. We'll be previewing tonight's game in Orlando with a former member of the famed 1995 Magic Squad, now serving as their color commentator, Jeff Turner of Fox Sports Florida. Also be checking in with Tass Mellis of the Starters, the hit show on NBA TV, as well as their podcast. They had a, they had a great feature on them uh, in GQ Magazine the other day. That's, I guess, when you know you really made it in life, at least here in America, with being featured in GQ. Uh, I'm still waiting for that call, but no time for that. Let's get into the show. Like I said, busy week on the court for the Celtics. Busy week off it. Let's start off the court. First off, I want to touch upon this very briefly, but back on Thursday, JaVale McGee to Boston. And hours later, in the day, it fell through as he won a player, op- player option Well, the Sellers wanted a team option. At least that's what was reported. Sellers were fortunate there, I believe, ladies and gentlemen. People are pretty excited. Fans are pretty excited. They look at it as a low-risk, high-reward type of play, see some of his raw abilities, his size, his athleticism. They think that he can amount to something. A lot of people really like that move. Uh, first off, he's 27, so he is what he is. I mean, this isn't about potential here. He hasn't been in an NBA rotation, actually, for all, you know, almost two years now. He's got the IQ of a doorstop, and couple that with the fact that he would have been joining this team towards the end of the year when they'll have no practice time with all these games they've got in March, and he's already a bit of a slow learner to begin with. I don't see how he could have really fit in too much to help contribute to this team. So I was concerned that it could have forced Stevens' hand a bit. You know, this team really started to play better as soon as Ainge finally got rid of all the clutter on the roster, which allowed Stevens to manage the rotation a bit easier as players had more defined roles. And as we've seen with the second unit, it's been such a strength, especially in this uh, great stretch that they've had. Chemistry has been exceptional. So I don't see how a guy like McGee, who would not have made much of an impact as, as Wiz, I don't see how there would have been a benefit there. All it would have done, I think, was just sort of reclutter the roster and made me make Stevens play a guy just for the sake of seeing what the Celtics have on their hands and to accommodate a player who would have expected minutes. So they would have been right back where they were at the end of December. We're with, you know, with Brandon Ray all over again, albeit with the worst player. So I know Ainge is in this to collect as many assets as possible, and I know if there's ever a chance for a rebuilding team like the Celtics to improve the talent base, you do so. But I don't think McGee would have done that. If anything, maybe make the situation a little bit worse. Then, of course, at the beginning of the week, there was that not-so-surprising report that came out that the team— He's planning to pursue virtually everybody this offseason. I actually just ran a feature on CLNSRadio.com today, if you want to check that out, where I analyze all the potential scenarios with the Celtics. Not just free agents like Greg Monroe, who I believe is a very strong possibility for the Celtics, by the way, but trades as well. Maybe potential draft selections. Maybe trade up in the draft because they have so many draft choices. A lot of the routes the Celtics can take, and that's why I'm so optimistic about the outlook of this franchise. I mean, you know I'm a glass-half-full guy, particularly with this team. This team wins as fans enjoy the win and appreciate the fact that these young players are gaining valuable experience and enhancing their development. And that it's that much easier for the coaching staff and organization to place a culture of accountability in place when they're winning these games. And if they lose, it's A. The value of their own draft selection only increases. So while there's some out there that are worried about every win removing this team from the top of the lottery, just consider everything. All the aspects. Like, I don't know how this team has more ammo than the Allies did in 1945. You like that one, huh? Uh, You don't? Okay, oh, well. Well, how's this? Isaiah Thomas trade. The biggest swindle North America has seen since the Louisiana Purchase? Okay, enough of being facetious. Let's get back to actually look back at what's taking place on the court. Obviously, the two big wins against the two Western Conference opponents who are playing really well. The big win back on Wednesday against Utah, great win against a Jazz team that's playing pretty well actually, despite their overall record. They've been playing very well since the All Star break. First off, the Celtics. I mean, they weren't in the best. They weren't in the best spot Wednesday night. Emotions were obviously very high against Golden State, and that was a tough one to drop. Then to get blasted, almost kind of as, as expected, as I said on last week's show with Kyle Draper against Cleveland. But then to come back and play the Jazz on the second night of a back-to-back, that's a lot of basketball now adding up. And it wasn't the best quote-unquote performance, so to speak. But once again, it's another great step. I mean, they won ugly. Good teams, or at least to become a good team, you have to win those kind of games. Those games where based on physical circumstances, you can't pitch forth your best effort. And so mentally, you have a tendency to let things drift away from you. And the sellers certainly did that at the beginning of the season, but not now, not after the strides they've made. I mean, to say they found a way, wow, right? Obviously, the highlight of the season, to cap off that win, quote-unquote, finding a way with a great out-of-bounds play, setting up Tyler Zell to put home the game-winner at the Horn, great play by a rookie, Marcus Smart, a pressure situation, and then Friday night, maybe the most impressive win of the season, in my opinion, a complete 48-minute effort on the road against a very good New Orleans Pelicans team, and even more impressive in that the Pelicans' size, particularly with Anthony Davis, that New Orleans isn't exactly a great matchup for the Celtics. Of course, Anthony Davis alone isn't a great matchup for anybody, but particularly a very small team like the Celtics. But hey, Boston swept the season series against a Western Conference team, no less. Big improvement from last year where they couldn't win a game on the road against the Western Conference team. And Friday night, many thanks to, yes, that guy, the Louisiana Purchase swindle man himself, Isaiah Thomas. What more can you say? Not just that he's producing, but the confidence that he's instilled on the rest of the team. It's just remarkable. And thank God the Celtics have that guy. Obviously down the stretch. It's just amazing. He arrives, poof this team can execute offensively in tenuous moments in the fourth quarter. Just a great pickup. And from a fan perspective, just a lot of fun to watch. Everything about him from the concrete, be it his talent and his skills to the abstract, be it his demeanor. You know, I mentioned Jay Crowder last week about this, but that feistiness that Thomas brings and that he has, it's just like he's just meant to be a Celtic. And that's why he's so fun to watch. He's obviously so fun to even root for and making this whole team very enjoyable to root for. I personally, as a... As an observer and as a fan, have had a lot of fun. But we can laud over the great recent play as fans and as observers. But the Celtics, they unfortunately can't. As I stated on last week's show, Marks is obviously jammed. Boston's got two more back-to-backs this week coming up, starting tonight in Florida against the Magic. Then tomorrow against Miami in a game with serious playoff implications. Then they return home. Old friend Jeff Green of the Memphis Grizzlies member were giving away tickets to that game. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. That's facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Winner announced tomorrow on Twitter at Celtics underscore beat. But that's a big game there against one of the best teams in the NBA. And once again, a team with some serious size, a big size advantage over the Celtics. Then to close out the week, the magic return here to Boston Friday night, and then Real tough spot. Saturday night, the Celtics need to travel to Indiana to face a Pacers team that's playing very, very well. And actually maybe featuring Paul George by then. So while we got the comfort of our homes, the Celtics do not. There's no west for the weary. and actually begins tonight in Orlando. So let's not waste any time. Let's start talking about that game tonight where the Boston Celtics travel down to face the Magic. Can't find anybody better to talk to. Jeff Turner, member of their famed 1995 team and now serving as their color commentator in Fox Sports Florida. Jeff, good to catch up with you once again. Oh, uh, it's good to catch up with you. you know, I spoke to you at the beginning of the year when, when Orlando came to town here in the middle of December. At the beginning of the year, the Magic were kind of hanging around. They had some good wins. They were competitive on a West Coast trip. They had some real nice wins. Remember, they had a big win against Phoenix. I beat the Hawks at the buzzer, I believe. And then since then, it's sort of gone a little bit of rise since mid-December. I mean, in your best explanation, can you just sort of tell us what happened?
1: Well, we just, uh, we ran through a tough stretch. It's an interesting thing. Uh, early in the season, uh, we were predominantly, uh, played most of our games on the road. Um, I think it was, uh, 18 of our first 27 were on the road. And I think the guys got a, young players got a comfort level there. And so it looked like we were having some success. We had won nine games on the road. Uh, contrast that with uh, last season where we won four on the road all year long and things were looking really good. The problem with it, we weren't winning at home. We'd come home and we were struggling uh, to finish. And then I think as we got into the uh, right around the first of the year, into January, we had a, just a terrible stretch where we lost 10 in a row. Uh, Jock Vaughn was asked to uh, step down. Uh, and so now we're in a transition where we've got an interim coach in James Borrego um, who's trying to do some things to change. And the guys, the young group, have to learn on the fly with not much practice time. And so the struggles, they continue a little bit.
0: Yeah, I want to get into Borrego in, in a few minutes here. But, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I would say a vaguely surprised at you know Orlando struggles because when when I saw them in December, I thought that they were – I didn't think that they'd be a playoff team, but it looked like that they were going to make certainly some improvements from the last two years. But what have been sort of the weaknesses that teams have been exploiting on a night-in and a night-out basis?
1: Well, it's interesting. We we had a stretch. Uh, We came off a road trip. Uh, We went out and um, came back from uh, Portland. Uh, We played a second half and really got the ball moving and uh, really liked what we did. Went into Chicago. Uh, a couple of nights later, uh, and upset the Bulls and scored 121 points and really decided to play uh, up tempo. So it was almost a style change. Uh, and in doing that with the young players, uh, we started giving up a lot of points. And as most people that watch the NBA and, and you uh, know very well, that a lot of times teams that run give up a lot of points. And we got a young team and they stopped being able to score but still giving up a lot of points, teams were taking advantage of that. We weren't getting back in transition defense, weren't doing a good job on the glass. So those were glaring weaknesses. Since the coaching change, the the emphasis has been on the defensive end and seen great progress there. A few nights ago, played uh, Phoenix, they scored 100 points. It was the first time under James Borrego that they'd given up 100 points in a game. Uh, But now the struggle is offensively. The pace has slowed down. It's become more of a half-court team, and we've got young players who are struggling to find scoring opportunities in the half-court. And so I think those are some things that teams are beginning to figure out and take advantage of when they play the, the
2: Orlando Magic.
0: Yeah, that's usually the case when you have a young team, especially a young team that struggles, is when you know, things just aren't really going as well, they have a tendency to get down on themselves, and that's why it's just so important to have veterans around. Could you talk to me, could you sort of even, actually even further elaborate on what James Brego is doing in trying to keep things together? Because I wrote that piece earlier in the year about the culture that the Orlando Magic, or particularly Rob Pennington, you know, want to establish. You know, despite the struggles on the court this year, do you think that he's at least you know, maintained that?
1: Yeah, I you know, the one thing that Rob has has talked about that he wanted to see was uh, guys that were learning the game, the young players, that they had a competitive spirit about them, Uh, and from the very beginning, he talked about wanting to begin to build a defensive identity. Um, So I think that the one thing that James Borrego has done is he has stepped in uh, and he has taken that focus. Uh, He's really... Done a great job of holding guys accountable to the defensive end of the floor, and you know if there was a defensive mistake, guys come out, um, and that's been good. And I think what you're seeing is there is a, a sense of competitiveness uh, that you're seeing uh, with this team. So I think from that standpoint, uh, I think James Borrego's got the team in, headed in the right direction. Uh, it's just a young team with not a lot of veterans. We've got a few solid veterans, but right now the focus is on the young guys. And if you watch the NBA, it's just hard to win when you've got young young players. They've got to go through the learning process.
0: Yeah, it's either that or you actually – Certainly, you have to surround them with, you know, the, the right group of veteran players. And right. it's, it's, it's hard to get those types of players on young teams because those veterans, I mean, they want to win now. I mean, I mean, I know they definitely exactly. like to teach young players, but they certainly, you know, want to win. I, could you just sort of talk about what the mindset is amongst maybe the Orlando fan base in regards to the future of the team? Because despite other you know, struggles, it still seems that, at least for me from afar, I look at Orlando is still in a pretty good spot. Sort of tell me how you feel about that, and even you know, if you want to speak on behalf of the Orlando fans.
1: Well, I think, uh, you know, I'm a fan, I've I've been in this community for a long time, and I, you know, I think uh, Orlando's had some success. You know, we've had uh, we've been to two NBA finals, and so there is an expectation. Um, as I go around town, I mean, you know, people are they're a little bit frustrated, but. I think they understand, uh, what the team is doing. They understand the process. Um, you know, I think they know that, uh, Alex Martins, our CEO, and, and Rob Hennigan are serious about building a program. Or, you know, the the fact that they made a coaching change, uh, when they did, um, I think shows the fan that, you know what, uh, w- we need to be better. You know, where we are is unacceptable. So I think, uh, I think we're still at that wait-and-see uh, spot with a lot of our fans. They haven't bailed on us. Um, they see the potential. They like the young guys. Uh, this is a group that does a great job in the community, so they see them out and about. So, I, you know, I think it's kind of everybody's just waiting and seeing. They're not jumping ship or anything. They're just, you know, all right, we're, we're with you, but you got to show us something soon
0: all I know is is a franchise big man at the top of the draft in the, in the lottery this year and as we all know the magic seem to have pretty good success in that area uh, winning those kind of draft lotteries but I want to talk so sort of about I want to talk about Tobias Harris he's a free agent of the year and I know this summer the Celtics are going to be quote unquote in on everybody kind of an interesting I mean it seems like there's a little more there that he's not showing, in that, in the sense that, if it's the old saying that it, this doesn't equal the sum of the parts, how, how do you feel about right. him? Do you think that that's sort of a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, I really like, I really like Tobias. I think Tobias, unfortunately, this season he's had, you know, it hasn't been one major injury. Last year, uh, it you know was a major injury that kept him out for a long time. This year, it's been the rolled ankle, the calf strain. Uh, little things that keep you out. I mean, I think he's missed uh, 10, 11 games for us, uh, but they've been in blocks of like, you know, three, five, two. And I think what's happened is that's taken him out of his rhythm in a lot of cases, Uh, but I still think he's a, uh, uh, he's a big part of what they're trying to do and could be a cornerstone for this franchise for a long time. I think the fact that Rob Hennigan made no moves um, at the deadline. I mean, you, know, you point out that uh, Tobias is a um, you know, the restricted free agent. He might have been able to do something there at the trade deadline. The fact that he didn't, that he stood tight, means that he really uh, is high on Tobias as well as uh, the rest of the young guys we have.
0: Yeah, I think virtually every free agent is something that Sellers fans are certainly going to be watching this this summer, as I actually did a piece on it today, and I did touch upon Tobias. But I want to talk about the game tonight before we get you out of here, obviously, because it seems like it's a pretty big game for Celtics. It's sort of a game that they kind of have to win if they seem to have any faint hopes at all for, for staying in this playoff picture. So, is there any key matchups that you'll be keeping an eye on?
1: Well, I always think, uh, you know, when you, when you play by I think right now the backcourt uh, is always important for us with uh, Alfred Payton and Victor Oladipo. Um, you know, going up, Avery Bradley has had so much success against the Magic. I mean, he's a tough cover, uh, it seems like, for us. And then, you know, you throw in. Um, I mean, we haven't really seen a healthy Marcus Smart and certainly adding Isaiah Thomas. I think that uh, controlling the tempo and the pace that the Celtics like to play with, I think that backcourt matchup is going to be key.
0: Jeff Turner, Fox Sports Florida. You can follow Jeff on Twitter. Twitter at JTurnerMagic. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Pleasure is all ours. Jeff, it definitely should be an interesting contest down there in Orlando. As I stated in the opening, with so many games this month against good teams for the Celtics, you know, if the Celtics have any hopes of staying in this playoff chase, this is a game that I'd have to say they pretty much have to win. And these are the teams that to develop as a team, you know this Orlando team. These are the te- games that they need to be able to win to win those tricky games against young and hungry teams that may present matchup problems like Orlando does, certainly on the road. So I'm definitely interested in seeing what happens tonight. And remember, after the game, be sure to tune in to CLNS Radio for the post-game show. There's a lot going on with the Boston Celtics. They'll have plenty to talk about after this game. We've talked about plenty about the Celtics so so far on the show. Going to shift our focus on to what's happening in the rest of the NBA world. Back on the other side of the break with Tass Mellis of NBA TV. I'm Larry H. Russell, and you're listening to Celtics Beat, presented by Lynda.com and Peak Organic Brewing Company on CLNS Radio.
2: slash clns. I'm Dave Asprey from bulletproofexec.com. Over the last 15 years, I've traveled the world and spent a quarter million dollars to hack my own biology. Without counting calories or using exercise, I lost a hundred pounds and I've kept it off for 10 years. I raised my IQ by more than 20 points. I lowered my biological age and I learned how to thrive on a lot less sleep. I've done a ton of research and self-experimentation and now I'm ready to share it with you. All you need to do now is sign up with your email address to get full access to the Bulletproof Toolbox, which is my collection of tools, tips, and videos about how you can perform better, feel better, and look better than ever before. Get ready to supercharge your body, upgrade your brain, and welcome to being Bulletproof.
0: Welcome back into the show. we got Tass Mellis here of NBA TV. Tass is one of the hosts of The Starters, airing weekdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on NBA TV. You can also check them out on NBA.com slash The Starters, as well as their podcast on iTunes. Our interview with Tass is brought to you by BeatsAndEats.net. Food, comedy, pop culture, and more. That's BeatsAndEats.net. Tass, maiden boy, on Celtics Beat, but a frequent guest on this network. Thanks so much for joining us and allowing me to welcome you back to CLNS Radio.
2: Thank you, sir, for having me on.
0: Not a problem. You know, I'm sort of now going on a world tour with this question, and it's been the the question I've asked everyone as we sort of talked about general NBA, because in my mind, I think it's sort of the storyline of the season and sort of how we're defining this 2015 NBA campaign. And basically my question is, is it good or bad for the NBA that all the good teams are either in markets unfamiliar to having good NBA teams, like, say, the Bay Area or Atlanta, Or even small markets where, you know, the defending champions are the Spurs. And the best players in the NBA are in Cleveland, New Orleans, Oklahoma City. Whereas, you know, the usual Star Wars are down.
2: I I think uh, it's good and bad. I I think uh, fans are capable of watching all those small market teams with league pass. um, And I I think the league is just becoming so much smaller. And and players are okay. LeBron going back to Cleveland, for instance. The man is... um, very uh, cognizant of the fact that he wants to be a billionaire basketball player. He wants endorsements, but he can do that in Cleveland because the, the basketball world is getting smaller. He can still make endorsement money there, and it does, he doesn't have to play in New York, for instance. You know, that's sort of how Carmelo Anthony thought five years ago uh, or four years ago when he went uh, to New York. So I think the basketball world in general is getting smaller. Um, I do think for the casual fan, they have had to watch a lot of Knicks and Lakers, because of the way the schedules are on TNT and ESPN and the national TV deal, and that's how that works. So, all those great teams that you mentioned, even your your Memphises, the Bay Area, those teams haven't been on the national networks as much as the large market teams, and and traditionally that's that's who's been on on those uh, stations. So, I think in a couple of years when the new TV deal kicks in, we'll see a little bit more of a shift. Uh, towards flex scheduling the way the NFL has, Um, you know, that's built into the new TV deal. So we'll be able to at least quickly switch through the year when we know that the triangle offense isn't working and we can go to, uh, you know, we can can flip from the Knicks to the Bay area, to to the, to the Grizzlies. So fans can, can watch that. But as far as you know, a general fan perspective, I, I don't know. I, I think it's more, you know, as 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 long as the league keeps getting popular, more and more popular, it's sort of like the NFL. Does it really matter who's great? Uh, I, I, I don't think it really matters all that much. I don't think the, the Knicks and the Lakers have to be good for the league to be popular.
0: It's sort of like how I wonder. I still think that particularly the casual NBA fan sort of has a superstar bias or a franchise bias because, yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, I mean, really, I mean, you look, remember, Spurs Pistons was just disastrous in the NBA Finals, even though it was actually a great series. So, and it was almost like the NBA, you know, Americans, they had to have their Jordans, they had to have their LeBrons, or they had to have Celtics Lakers in the Finals. So, I, I would have said maybe 10 years ago, but now I'm sort of interested to see how it is going to play out because it's it's very possible that the NBA Finals could very well be something like, you know, Hawks Warriors or or, or or Portland uh,
2: Cleveland or something like that. Yeah, it's a it's a great point, and the ratings w- won't be as close to as high as a, a, a Cavs Thunder series, or, or not, and the Thunder aren't even a great example, just because they're such a tiny market. Um, you know, a, a Cavs even even the Clippers. But you're right. I mean, as far as the Western Conference goes, the teams are so great. Uh, Don't have that cachet, Um, but uh, unfortunately, the ratings will still be lower because you're right, because people are drawn to stars. Um, And the goal for Adam Silver, and and it's a long-term goal, uh, and, and some people think he might be aiming too high, is to get the league as close to the NFL as possible to get that popularity. Now, the Super Bowl is a different beast than the NFL Finals because it's one day rather than seven you know six to seven days over a a two-week period so you just don't have the same amount of uh, uh, of eyeballs concentrated in one area or one on one day Um, but that but that's the idea and the idea I think is is to get it to a point where we don't care who's playing uh, and and which markets are in there just the fact that the league is getting bigger And, and I think Adam Silver's vision is it hasn't come to fruition yet but I believe in that man, and I, I do believe that he's going to make changes for the better and gain, uh, you know, gain more traction for the league.
0: It's interesting you mentioned the NFL example because while I believe the NBA has exploded globally more than basically any other, you know, sport, uh, sporting professional sports league in the world, it feels like it's stagnated nationally a little bit, especially after you know the Jordan years. And it's it's funny because. You know, you hear a lot from NBA detractors, and it's and as popular as the NBA is globally and even nationally, still it is still the, the second most popular American league to the NFL, albeit a distant second. There's still such a wide portion of the population that isn't in, not just isn't interested in the NBA, but they're like anti-NBA. Like I've always attributed the NBA to like being the the Richard Nixon of pro sports leagues. Like you look at the electoral chart and you see, wow, this guy won 49 of 50 states. But then remember there was such a group vocal group of detractors regarding Richard Nixon and. There's still that, you know, with the NBA, you know, it's too much of an individual sports or, or team success is predicated on who has the best player and the same teams win every year. There's only been nine NBA champions or eight NBA champions, whatever it's been since 1980. Yet, you know, when you get sort of, you know, Spurs, Pistons or whatever in 2005, people don't watch.
2: Yeah, I, I think the the two main things going against the NBA is the idea that it's an individual sport um, and that people will choose the inferior Product of college basketball over the NBA because one, I guess, of affiliations with colleges uh, just simply because it's your alma mater and you've got that sort of tie, um, but also because the you know, in air quotations, the kids play harder um, when when really, I, I you know, maybe it, it's sort of a a negative, the way the NBA marketed stars. Um, but obviously NBA teams have to play together to win basketball games. Uh, so it's, I guess, I guess it's, it's kind of, uh, it's gone against the NBA the way they've sort of marketed stars, uh, in that regard. Um, and, and you can sort of look at college sports or you can look at the NFL and say, Oh, these guys play together rather than these individuals, uh, in the NBA. Um, and And the NBA player,, uh, as you mentioned, has sort of uh, developed this uh, this persona that they only work for themselves. They're sort of their own brands. The best players always win. Uh, and, that, and and you know, even even the most mainstream of media spit those myths. The, the best players always win, which obviously isn't true. We saw the Spurs win last year. They definitely didn't have the best player on the, on the floor uh, in a number of their series as they went to the finals. It's still a team game. It's a beautiful game. And maybe, and maybe there is a push. We're watching the Atlanta Hawks play that way without a, a, a superstar. Um, and maybe there is going to be more of a push towards the NFL or, or towards sort of a more of a team game. Uh, that we watch, and even soccer, for instance. Uh, so maybe that slowly will change the idea of people. But uh, I, I think also going into the postseason, uh, people are bored at the beginning of the playoffs. There's the casual fan that thinks uh, the league is so top-heavy. There's no way an eight-seed can win, uh, and they don't necessarily care about, about the first round of playoffs. And, it, uh, you know, the the March Madness has so many eyeballs on it uh, because it's single elimination at the beginning there are uh, the possibilities of upset so I think Adam Silver's also going to work towards a way to change the way the playoffs are formatted right off the bat in the first round because again the casual fan thinks oh there's no chance why should I watch this at the beginning of the playoffs so I think that is uh, it, that's definitely on the agenda uh, for for the uh, for the commissioner's office and I think it's a, it's a great idea because We've got to find a way in the NBA to either to shorten those two months down in the playoffs to make it a little bit more appealing in the first round, maybe make it a little bit shorter. Uh, there's There's got to be a way to to get more eyeballs on this great product.
0: Yeah, it's definitely interesting you mentioned the NBA playoffs because I definitely want to get there. And you mentioned talking about NBA playoffs reform. I mean, where do you come down on that? You always hear people say, oh, it's all The East was once better than the West and blah, 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 blah. But it's actually really been, since Jordan's retired, the West has been far more complete, let's put it that way, one to eight of teams in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, if you ask me, I know this is definitely not an idea that's going to get anywhere. I mean, how about something like there's possibly too many teams in the playoffs to begin with? I mean, you let in half the league, and we all know that half the league really can't win the championship. So, I mean, you could. I, I know that's going to really not going to go anywhere. So what say you? If, you, if you got to play God, let alone commissioner, Where where would you uh, come down on this?
2: I think uh, I'm starting to buy into the fact that 16 teams is okay, um, but we have to take the 16 best records. We've got to see Anthony Davis. Um, We've got to see DeMarcus Cousins. We've got to see the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs, and that would cut out teams like Brooklyn, Miami, and possibly Milwaukee. The 16 best records basically have to get in. I, I, I think that that would work out. You know, there's, there's scheduling issues, but the stars have to be in the league or the, the playoffs, I should say. And, uh, and we go from there. I, I know, I know you say that, um, um, half the league can't win the championship. That's definitely true. But at the same time, it, you think about a, a New Orleans Pelicans team in the Western conference, uh, if they, they have a chance. I mean, they're, they're winning games. Uh, if they got it all together before the playoffs, they'd have a chance to knock off a team or two. And, and uh, I totally hear you that half the team can't win it. Um, but I think you kind of sort of get rid of or deal with this cyclical problem that we have in the NBA that the West is so much stronger when you take the 16 best teams and just throw them in there because the best teams are there vying for a championship when it's all said and done.
0: If you ask me, too, I think some sort of other suggestion. This is almost just the bizarre, of the bizarre. But it was actually the case for the longest time in the seventies and eighties, where actually the the first round was a mini series, where yeah. was only a few games, and the and, and the top teams that won the division got buys. So what that does is. It, it, I believe it creates a greater incentive for the regular season, which I actually also think is, a, is is an issue in itself because, I mean, I don't want to now trash the product, particularly since you work for NBA TV, but, I mean, in February and March, the NBA, you know, at this point of the year is sort of like, ugh, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, too much, and, I mean, teams are really aren't playing for as much because, you know, the top teams, it's like, just get in, but they're already in, but maybe if you all you know, create, you know, so further incentives in the playoffs, you know, dare we say it buys or or, 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 more home games or whatnot. I still would like to see a greater emphasis on making the regular season mean something because in the NFL, the regular season is, I mean, it's like, it's a playoff game in itself.
2: Yeah. I, I know Adam Silver is, is very cognizant of the fact that we, we do have a, a bit of a down period in March, especially going up against March madness um, and 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 right before the playoffs you're right the, the six week period uh, can get a tiny bit dry Adam Silver's uh, definitely aware of basketball leagues around the world which have you know half the season or half the length of the NBA season um, and every single game matters a little bit more the NFL obviously has the advantage that the season is a fifth the length of uh, the NBA, so each game is is impacted a heck of a lot more. Um, but I, I definitely like the idea of a shorter playoffs to start or incentivizing teams uh, to play a little bit more in the regular season, play their stars more in the regular season, for, whether it be a bye, um, whether it be – Uh, a shorter playoff at the beginning of the, uh, of the, the the playoffs or a shorter series. I I think that would bring in so many more eyeballs. Um, And, and there's, there's the balance. It's, Hey, do we cut off? Let's say it's a best of three. Do we cut off four potential playoff dates Four potential gates for these teams? Will that balance out with more popularity at some point when we have X number of more people watching at home? Uh, so it's it's something that probably the analytics department of the uh, of the league has to has to take into account. I, I think that would happen before we cut down the, the number of games in the season. Um, I, I know Adam's probably going to next year uh, could uh, sort of kick off the season a couple weeks earlier so we have less back-to-backs and less four games and five nights. He talked about that at All-Star Weekend because... Frankly, you know, talking to the players over the years, that's their one big issue is they they can't their legs physically can't get up for four games and five nights, five games and seven nights. The product suffers a little bit. They verbally say that, so I think that that will be Adams' a uh, first move. And and, and again, I, I can't praise Adam Silver enough for uh, stepping in, uh, having to deal with Donald Sterling right off the bat, uh, and then just. Being very proactive, uh, very forward-thinking, and, and not just thinking that this is this ancient institution that um, can't be can't be altered or tinkered with. I think right off the bat he's going to make some moves, and and, and he's going to start by trying to eliminate some of those back-to-backs, which is which is key. The regular season length is definitely key. The um, the playoffs and, and, and just how many people are watching is definitely important so i think he's a, he's a student of the game he's a student of uh, of all markets and uh he's not just gonna let bygones be got bygones mm-hmm. and, and let things just sort of stay status quo you no
0: know, he's a very pragmatic guy at least from what i've observed from afar and that's why i'm actually pretty excited about the future of the nba because i actually think he's you know this he's not going to just talk about these issues and i actually think that we're not just going to fantasize of what, you know, we could do with the NBA draft lottery in terms of or, or fouls being called the court or whatever. I'm with you. I'm the, I'm the ultimate less is more kind of guy. But, you know, we're more than halfway into this interview and we're talking like the NBA, like it's this dying league when, in fact, it couldn't be any further from the truth. It's actually a great season so far. And one of the main storylines has certainly been the MVP race. Is it really just two horses here? I want to shift more towards talking about the NBA, two horses. It's just Harden Curry or is LeBron, you know, you know, trickling his way back in?
2: Well, if you listen to other people, I mean, Russell Westbrook is, is at the forefront. I'm not, I'm not buying the, the Russ movement. Uh, I obviously Russ is incredible. Um, but, uh, I, I think you have to value number one games played. He's been out, uh, and number two, just doing it for the entire year on a winning team. I, I think that's what, um, kind of hinders LeBron's chances. He basically proclaimed, Hey, I'm not good enough. I got to step out for two weeks, uh, and you have to kind of compare LeBron's season to his previous seasons. He hasn't been that good. He said it by having to sit down for two weeks. I'm not that good. I haven't been this, that good for the first couple months. Let me take a step back. Uh, then when they came back, obviously, you know, people have short memories these days. They just think, Oh, LeBron is fantastic. Russell Westbrook is uh, a triple double machine. Well, at the beginning of the year, Russell wasn't around at the beginning of the year. LeBron wasn't LeBron. Um, and, James Harden and and Steph Curry have been doing it the entire year uh, on the better teams in the league. Uh, So uh, I I think Steph is is just a little bit more, I don't know. I think he's a more of of an an appealing vote. James Harden definitely deserves it. Um, But James Harden is is more of a, of an isolation type guy while, you know, he obviously distributes the ball, but uh, you know, it's all how you look at it. If you think, well, if James Harden sits down, that team isn't good. Well, that's 100% true because he is so much of the offense, while Steph is more of a cog in that team's uh, offensive function. Um, but he's obviously you know the greatest uh, ball handler we've got in the game. So it's uh, it goes both ways. Uh, I could can, I can see a, a vote either way, depending on, on how you look at it. But I'd probably take Steph. I, I just think he just does a little bit more on the court James takes the entire offense upon himself, but um, I think Steph's a bit of a better passer and uh, frankly, a, a little bit more enjoyable to watch um, because you know, Harden is the master of getting to the free throw line and, uh, and it's just not as fun to watch him at times. I, I think Steph would get the, um, you know, from a guy who watches basketball night in and night out and loves this league and wants it to be as popular as the NFL, I think Steph is a slightly, is a little bit better for the for the game and for the casual fan, and that's why he was the leading All Star vote getter uh, this this past All Star game uh, over James Harden.
0: Yeah, it's definitely actually going to be an interesting MVP you know race to watch. I mean, even if Cleveland, I think, continues to. Play very you know, good basketball. I wonder if there's going to be almost an anti LeBron sentiment of like, oh, geez, you know, we've given this guy the MVP enough. Let's oh, sure, some, yeah. You know, yeah. let's
2: get it's some voter new, fatigue.
0: Yeah, let's get some new blood in there, especially if Golden State finishes with the best record in the league, in which they're pretty much neck and neck with Atlanta. I want to ask you this because you're in Atlanta. You know, I think it, it's interesting. We, we, we sit here from afar, not we, because I'll, I'll just say me and a few other people of my ilk. We just sit here and we just say, oh, Atlanta, great story. We love what they're doing, but they can't win the championship. Would we be saying this if they, A, had a superstar, and or, B, if they were the New York Hawks, or the Chicago Hawks, or the Los Angeles Hawks, and they were a big market team that we could fall in love with?
2: No, I think it goes back to the idea that you need a superstar to win. I don't think it has to do with market. Uh, you know, the San Antonio Spurs have been the best, most steadiest franchise since uh, 98. Um, since, since Mr. Duncan has been around. Yeah, we know. We know here in Boston very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I don't think it has to do with market, but it does have to do with the level of superstardom um, and, and the idea that we all sort of think, uh, you know, we've all sort of uh, been marketed that stars make this league. The San Antonio Spurs had superstars. Tim Duncan was a superstar for a long time. And you can throw sort of Tony Parker into that mix somewhat. But last year they did not have um, that level of superstar. Tim Duncan did not get the ball in the paint possession after possession after possession. They just moved the basketball. The Hawks can, can, they can do the same thing. They could win it all if they have, but it's the problem with a team that doesn't have a superstar is that these guys have to be functioning night in and night out every single game. Wow when you're playing with Tim Duncan, Avery Johnson can just kind of hang out on the perimeter and he doesn't have to perform while if you're Jeff Teague, if you're Paul Millsap, if you're Kyle Corver, you've got to be ready on every possession to make it happen. Cause you just can't rely on a guy to take over. Uh, so it's, it's just reliant, I think, on more parts uh, and more parts functioning well. Um, but I think the Hawks have a chance, uh, and, and they've they've got a good chance. And we just sort of look at past performance as a, as an indicator of whether or not this team can can get in. We we believe that a team has to suffer some playoff losses, which the Hawks in this um, iteration of their team have not. Um, so. Uh, you know, there's just a few beliefs going against them, but uh, I I think, you know, they've got the home crowd to make it happen. They're going to, they're going to have home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Uh, They don't have the experience, which, which is definitely a factor. Um, You know, they haven't gone deep into the playoffs as a team and and most guys just don't have a a ton of, of playoff experience as star players. Uh, So uh, I, I, Market aside, uh, it's these guys. Whether or not they can make it happen, night in and night out, and not have a, a streak or a, a sort of a you know a, a two to three game span where they're not functioning all that well together. Because right now, if they went into the playoffs, they'd lose. They're not playing uh, the basketball that they that they were playing. Um, but uh, you know, it's I think that sort of lends itself to oh man, we we've got the number one seed. Uh, we're coasting. They've got a 10-game lead in the Eastern Conference. There isn't a ton for them to play for other than to, to keep sharp. Uh, so th- these next six weeks are going to be a test for Mike Budenholzer and, and the Hawks just to to stay on top of their game.
0: I think one of the interesting aspects to watch with the Hawks, and you mentioned that they're sort of not as playing as well as they were in December to January and February, is they were just taking every team's A game for so long. I mean, they became pretty much the marked team in the league, and I mean, sometimes that can be very beneficial to a team, particularly a team like Atlanta that has no playoff experience and needs to, you know, just sort of get adjusted to being the team with a bullseye on their back, so that way they can play with that kind of intensity when they really need it in the playoffs. But at the same time, that can be, you know, very draining for a team. I mean, the example I sort of use is I, mean, I talked to someone in the 07 Patriots. You know, I not bring that up, I guess. But, I mean, they were just sort of everybody's Super Bowl for about the last 12 weeks of the NFL season, so, by the time they got to the playoffs, they were physically drained intact. So, I'm actually kind of interested to see if that could be happening to Atlanta now and if that will happen to them in the playoffs, where, I mean, they just sort of, you know, just went balls to the wall almost too early by playing these games like they were playoff games for so long.
2: NFL players got tired, even though they've got six days in between games. I mean, come on. Let's no, get I,
0: it. It was, more, it, was more, it was more mental, if you, if you sort of know what I mean. Like, I mean, like I said, yeah, yeah. that, that Patriots team had to play. Every single game, the final month and a half of that season, be- like it was their Super Bowl because everybody else was playing it like it was their Super Bowl. You know what I mean? They couldn't just sort of, you know, have to just show up with that B-minus game today and take care of business. It was, you know, we got to bring it. And that was sort of like what it is with Atlanta.
2: Yeah, but I think Atlanta's got what they've got going for them here the last couple months or the last six weeks We're basically were basically six weeks till the end of the season exactly on, on this day they won't be playing I think it'll be very difficult for them to get up night in and night out. Um, you know, for instance, Josh Smith, their old friend, uh, came back with the Houston Rockets Tuesday night and, uh, they needed people booing him and they needed Josh Smith taunting the crowd to get them sort of amped, um, to win this Tuesday night game in March when they've got the number one seed locked up, they're going to have to find things to motivate them. And I I think, you know, Budenholzer is going to have that challenge the first two weeks of April before the playoffs start. We got to get this thing functioning. Oh, so well. So when we hit the playoffs, they're working uh, extremely well. I don't think it's, it's mental, uh, mental exhaustion. I think it's just sort of mental focus that that's going to be more of their issue uh, come playoff time because, um, 82 games, uh, over this, this length of length of uh, season, it it, it's that, that part is it's exhausting. And just being able to stay on your A game for that long, which they have done very well. and And it's been really impressive, but that's, that's their issue. Um, and what they've got to focus on what, what coach Bud's got to focus on with his staff the last six weeks.
0: So it's going to be Atlanta with the number one seed. I'd be willing to bet virtually anything that the Atlanta Hawks are going to be on NBA TV for the first round of the playoffs. Ooh. So, so, so I'm actually going to put you on the spot here. Bottom of the Eastern Conference is sort of a dogfight, if you want to call it, for the, the eighth seed. Who will Atlanta play um, on NBA TV in the first round of the playoffs, and uh, who would you like to see them play? <laughs>
2: I'd like to see them play the Brooklyn Nets, and I know that's probably an unpopular opinion at this point, but I think uh, the last two spots are going to be occupied by the Indiana Pacers after Paul George gets back and the Brooklyn Nets um, because they've, they've got that veteran savvy. Uh, they've got the ability to, to turn it up, and recently they have been other than last night's Wednesday night's again against the Charlotte Hornets. Um, they're a team that went into Toronto last year and won a playoff series. My former hometown, my, my actual rooting interests. Uh, watching the Raptors lose that series was tough. But the Brooklyn Nets can upset a team. Um, so it's going to be tough uh, for the Hawks. I think the Hawks will win. Um, but, you know, there, there is something to be said for when the bright lights are on. Can you show up? And because the Hawks, well, they were in the playoffs last year and they had the experience, um, so, so they should be able to take care of business. They've got a very good home crowd. Um, but I think the Brooklyn Nets will offer the best test over a team like the Charlotte Hornets or, or the Miami Heat. Even uh, I think the Brooklyn Nets are a pretty well-rounded lineup when you look at their lineup now. Um, after the Thaddeus Young acquisition, they've got a team that's you know nine deep and uh, you know not not the greatest of nine, but when you've got guys, veteran guys that made shots like Joe Johnson and Darren Williams and Brooke Lopez. They're, uh, they're going to be a tough out, so I'll, I'll take the Nets. Whether or not they're on NBA TV, I'll let the, the schedulers uh, make that decision. Get you out of there on that. Tass
0: Mellis, NBA TV. You can follow Tass on Twitter, at Tass Mellis. Tass, thanks so much for stopping by.
2: Thank you very much, Larry.
0: All right, that was great stuff, and I actually really want to get into this even a little more. We're going to skip around the NBA in five today. Let's pause briefly for station identification, and then when we come back, we're going to get even further into this.
2: This is Jeff Kane, and thank you for listening to CLS Radio, powered by lynda.com, Peak Organic Brewing Company, and most importantly, you, our loyal listeners. Patriots Nation and NFL fans, you know free agency is upon us. CLS Radio will have you covered with our online content on CLSRadio.com as well as on the Patriots Beat Podcast, available for download every Friday on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't let your head spin out of control. Get the NFL coverage and Patriots coverage you need right here on CLS Radio and CLSRadio.com.
0: All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Lynda.com. Thank you, Peak Organic Brewing Company. And yes, thank you, loyal listeners. And thank you, Taz, for what was truly a riveting discussion. You know, I love how as NBA fans and observers, we can actually have these discussions about ideas that may seem a bit wayward, like totally reconstructing the NBA playoffs. But because the NBA, I mean, unlike so many other pro sports leagues, like so many other entities in America for that matter, the NBA is very forward-thinking. It's very pragmatic, particularly the new commissioner, Adam Silver. So they're willing to take high risks and make substantial changes. You actually saw that a few years ago now when they implemented the flopping uh, mechanisms. I'm so happy that that is slowly being taken out of the game. I, I, emphasis on slowly, but it was just a catastrophic problem for a, an extreme word. And it was not just in the NBA, it's other sports. But I'm happy the NBA addressed it because they addressed it Yeah, by the leagues of the, N- the NHL They're punishing players for embellishing as well. But back on topic here, I'm not sure where I entirely come down on reformatting the playoffs, although it looks like that it will happen in the coming years. But I just need to think—I think that there needs to be a a greater incentive placed on the NBA regular season. The Spurs are really the primary reason for this, and you can really go back to even the Shaq Laker teams or those mid-2000 Pistons teams where— I mean, the regular season to them is really just an 82-game preseason. It's just don't get hurt, hone the skills, stay fresh, et cetera. So what can the NBA do to change this and make these games really matter to all these teams and, most importantly, to the fans? You know, make a game in February that really means something in the standings rather than just see Steph Curry and the Warriors take on James Harden and the Rockets on TNT, You know, whereas it could be a game with true implications on the outcome of the entire NBA season. I think that should be the real goal. And I think the NBA lacks these kind of games with that kind of electricity really until May and June. I mean they don't get these huge midseason Broncos Patriots matchup or, or a critical Yankees Red Sox or Dodgers Giants series over Fourth of July weekend, which can garner up a playoff like build up to a midseason affair. And, you know, fans are just as liable to seeing the Spurs rest their entire starting five in an NBA Finals rematch on TNT as they infamously did last year. I mean, they just thumb their nose the whole process. And numerous other teams do it well. I don't want to just pick on San Antonio. They're just obviously the prime example being the preeminent basketball franchise of the last 15 years. So that's really how I like to see Adam Silver try and go ahead and try to tackle here. And I actually think he will. I mean, my ideas, God knows. I mean, Maybe do something like give the top four teams in each conference a bye, or actually maybe have winning the division really mean something. And I know that might get people a little ticked off, but because people would feel it it might lead to more competitive imbalance. But I'd also like to see a bigger emphasis also created on NBA, you know, division rivalries because that's another thing that I think lacks in the NBA is like other sports. I mean, here in Boston, if you want to look at it, you got Yankees, Red Sox, you got Bruins, Canadians, you got Patriots, Jets. I mean, Celtics-Knicks, well, I know both teams are down, so you really can't say it's a rivalry, but it never really is this, you know, well, we got to go to the Celtics game tonight because the Knicks are in town. we got to beat them. You know, we got to beat New York, blah, 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 blah. And I just think that's not really the case for other teams. So I'd like to see greater emphasis placed on division rivalries. But, you know, once again, back on reformatting the playoffs, maybe you get the top four teams in the conference, top fourteen, or winning the division or something. And then after that, you just get, you fill it out with the, the next eight best teams, no matter what conference. And... Then you could or have a, you know, basically you have wild card teams and they can battle it out in shorter series. The top four teams in each conference get a bye. And think of how important beating your rivals for the division would mean in a regular contest regular season contest now. And think about the Spurs who are obsessed with staying fresh. Would then they want to get involved in some you know mini series? You know, where you gotta you gotta beat some team in a three game series where basically anything can happen in mean, a three game series as opposed to a seven game series. It'd make the early round you know, an early round far more interesting. So you get rid of the perception that you don't really have these extreme upsets in the NBA like you do as frequently as the in the NHL when eight seeds seemingly routinely advance, or wild card teams in the NFL winning three row games to, you know, win a Super Bowl championship. Cause that's certainly gonna change, at least in the first round, if you go back to those mini series that existed in the 70s and 80s. Three games, that's a lot different. That's something that you, any team would, would love to stay out of, and like I said, that would create a, a great emphasis on the regular season. Sure, you'd have a loss of revenue for these games at the gates, as Tass mentioned, especially on TV, but I think you'd make up for that over time when you, in the end, grow your audience over the years, and of course, grow your audience during the regular season over this your period of time as well, and make these games in the winter months truly mean something. You know, make these games sporting events and not just teasers or hours of entertainment to check up on the stars because now that's what YouTube is for, ladies and gentlemen. You know you can't really sell LeBron James like you could say in 2008. Of course you can, you know, or, or in a game. But right now I can get all the LeBron James and Anthony Davis highlights I need in 10 minutes on the internet. So these games, in my opinion, they need to they need to matter now more than ever. So I'm not saying that these games are bad. I mean, far from it. In fact, many of these teams, like Golden State, Atlanta, and these individuals like Harden, Curry, LeBron, Durant, Davis, they are special, and they're giving great and entertaining performance, but I just think it'd be that much more entertaining if the games over the course of the season had greater implications on the true outcome of the season. So I sort of akin these regular season games as sort of like the old main events back on the WWF in the 90s where they had all these, like, goofy six-man tag matchups of all the star wrestlers. But it sort of served as like a precursor to the big matchups for the belts at the pay-per-view. So that's sort of like we're just sort of there for the buildup rather than these games having the true meaning that they can really have. So that's what I'd like to see for the NBA. A regular season where having a greater meaning in the grand scheme of things as we look back at the product currently and as we look back at each season historically. So you know, while we're at it with the wrestling analogy, let's get more games in January that are less of the six-man tag matchups and maybe – Get a Goldberg Hulk Hogan on Monday Night Nitro for the belt. You know, that'd be worlds of fun. But that's just me. You know where I wrote earlier about this early in the season. I'm all for less of everything because I believe less is more. That's sort of the way of life America is, especially in the information age we have always trying to maximize what we do with our time. We're always trying to make our lives as efficient as possible. We have apps that allow us to plan everything, manage everything, know everything is at all times, ordering food, what time exactly the train will arrive. Heck, even exercising, right? Who in the world works out for two hours in a day like Rocky running through the mountains of Siberia? I mean, we go to CrossFit during lunch break and put ourselves through hell for 11 minutes and we're right back at our desk to get back into the workday. we got so many other things to do. A little less of something helps us get more of everything. You know, Less is more. So I think the NBA could adhere to that in so many ways. Less games, who knows? Maybe even less things like less fouls called. I think that it hurt in the short term, but it's like taking one step back to take numerous steps forward. So I think the product would improve drastically over time and it'd make it that much more appealing to a wider fan base. So I could certainly go on this all, all day, but unfortunately that's it. The show's all over. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, and Steph LeGratteau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show, as well as Google+. We'd like to thank our guests, Jeff Turner of Fox Sports Florida, Tas Mellis of NBA TV, as well as our sponsors, Lynda.com and Peak Organic Brewing Company for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday with special guest Ian Thompson for another edition of Celtics Beat, heard exclusively on CLNS Radio.